On today's show, we have Matt Galligan, co-founder of Interchange, a crypto asset portfolio management tool. Matt is a serial entrepreneur in addition to being a dad and pretty awesome music connoisseur. During our chat, we discuss why building Interchange is so important to further the exposure to crypto assets amongst the institutional investor class, how network effect can work to improve data quality in the asset, and also the new M&A activity that's starting to happen in consolidation in crypto. We talk about a wide range of things, including crypto all the way to electronic music composer BT, which is pretty awesome. Remember, if you're enjoying Baselater and the chat with Matt and others that we've hosted, please subscribe to Baselater on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and other locations that we provide the podcast. Enjoy! The Block is the leading news and information source in the cryptocurrency and blockchain space. The team of experts provides deep, objective research, analysis, and journalism on a daily basis via its website and newsletter. Check out The Block at theblockcrypto.com. Today we have Matt Galligan on with us. Matt is a really uh, special person with the business and a company that he's built uh, at Interchange. Um, I personally have been watching it for a long time. Um, as someone who knows that the the back end office and the portfolio management tools that institutional investors need is so important to the evolution and growth of an asset class. And so I've been really looking forward to having Matt on. We hosted a summit back in September, and Matt was one of our moderators and just killed it. And so really looking forward to having Matt on today and learning about what's happening in Interchange. There was some big news in December. So with that, Matt, thanks for having us, giving us some time today. Absolutely. Glad to be here. So if you could, maybe just give us the, uh, the background history and tell us a little bit about yourself, how you started Interchange, why you did it. And uh, tell us a little bit about what you're doing. Yeah, definitely. So let's see here. This is this is my fourth company. Uh, so I've I don't know if that's um if that's good or bad at this point. I keep coming back to it. Um, this one is a is a good bit different. But I, I got here along the way because you know whenever I've uh, found a, a problem. Um, where I found something really unique about it, something interesting. It was a space that I got into. I got into this uh, mode where I wanted to solve something, um, where I might have identified this one thing and I went deep on it. Uh, so my first was in social networking, uh, built a social media aggregator uh, that was called Social Things. Second one was um, one called Simple Geo. We built backend geolocation tools for developers. One notable thing there was uh, Zuko uh, from the Z Z Zcash company uh, was actually a, a team member there, which was which was awesome. So I got to work with him back in the day. Third one uh, was a, a mobile news product. 
Um, and then in this time around, uh, you know, as you can see, all of these companies have been dramatically different than the other. With this company, you know, I fell down the crypto rabbit hole at the beginning of last year. And uh, I had I had gone there because my, my girlfriend at the time, now wife, uh, had told me she had Bitcoin. I was sitting in a Coinbase wallet and uh, I realized, wow, okay, she knows more about this than I do at this point. Um, I'd love to get up to speed so that I can, you know, uh, due diligence, all this stuff, help her with these things. Uh, she's a physical therapist, not technical. And so I really wanted to dive in. I had anecdotally known about Bitcoin and crypto for a handful of years through a number of my friends, uh, but never really did the, the deep dive myself. Decided it was time, uh, read as much as I possibly could about uh, Bitcoin, Ethereum, uh, and so on and so forth. Started to, you know, help her diversify the portfolio, um, tried out different assets, tons of different exchanges, depositing into wallets. Um, and when I when I got, quote unquote, done, right, when I had accomplished what we had set out to do, uh, I realized that this is a nightmare to manage. Um, I mean, you've got uh, private keys all over the place. You have tons of exchanges that you're trying to operate within. Um, and doing something as simple as trying to understand the value of the portfolio seemed impossible. Um, I had put together a Google Sheet that did like live API calling uh, to different places and pricing and all these things. And at the end of the day, I still didn't feel like it was a, a solved task. And so uh, this would have been right around the April, May timeframe. So well, you know, before the, the big run up, um, got excited about the problem, got excited about the space, all the different things that uh, that it could do. Um, and that's, you know, it's a discussion for another time. Uh, but I like to solve user experience issues, um, things where I personally am having these problems and feel like my expertise could be lended and I could build a great solution. So in a July, August timeframe, I decided it was time I'd go build a company around this. Uh, wasn't entirely sure exactly what it would do at the at the beginning, at the onset. I just knew that I wanted to solve certain user experience issues in crypto. Um, fast forward a couple of months, I met my co-founders, Dan Held and Clark Moody. Both had been in Bitcoin for a long time, uh, both having built companies, uh, Zero Block and RTBTC, uh, respectively, both got acquired by blockchain.info back in the day. So long time uh, proponents and uh, builders in the space. We got together and started in on Interchange, um, which is portfolio management for institutions. Uh, now the story has evolved obviously since then, but uh, that's how we got our start. So we know, I think, um, all of us having been in the crypto space for a little while, that the institutions are coming has been sort of this double-edged sword um, and kind of a major market narrative that has been uh, chanted as either the savior or destruction of crypto, depending on the way you look at it. But of course, with a product like Inter Interchange, it seems that you guys have taken um, a, a fairly significant bet that formalized investment in the space will be coming soon, and that those investors will need real investor tools. So when you think of the idea of the institutions coming, um, who do you think is really going to be the first users of a tool like this? Is it existing crypto funds? Or do you think that um, having a portfolio management tool is kind of the UI fix that these managers need. Well, I definitely think it's a part of the problem. Uh, I know that custody was a, a big deal, uh, you know, for us to be able to have qualified custodians in the space, for us to see, 
you know, big uh, funds joining in, big asset managers. It was going to take uh, custody for sure uh, to get there. But I also really believe that information, um, reporting, accounting, portfolio reconciliation, all of these things are, are huge problems and require sophisticated software that, frankly, is not going to get built by the funds themselves. It just doesn't make sense. It's not going to be generating alpha. So to have software providers uh, that can be out there and doing this is is important for the evolution of the space. And that's why we are focusing on those problems. Um, that That's part of it. Uh, I, I really believe that institutional capital is coming to the space. You know, I've never really uh, stated a specific time frame for that. But, you know, to, to give you an example, right now, uh, retail uh, represents 97% of the assets in the space, 97%, so 3% crypto, roughly. Um, in US equities, 80% uh, is institutional capital. So you know, I really believe that uh, for this space to mature, for us to get uh, some of the lower volatility, um, some of the higher volumes, we're definitely going to need to see institutional capital. And we hope that our solution is, is part of the uh, path there. One of the things, if you know much about the history of some of the financial tools like Bloomberg and FactSet, so if you go back to 81, or I think it was 8081 when Mike Bloomberg had gotten his package from Solomon and he started working on the terminal, um, one of the big things was this lack of transparency. And you couldn't necessarily trust, if you called one of your brokers and was you know, asking about a particular bond, they, you know, they might kind of quote you here and there, and they might bid it up a few bits so they can make a little bit more money. Um, and there was a lot of like mistrust. And so what Bloomberg did was add transparency to the market uh, because you could see where all those bids and asks were coming from. You could justify it. There was all of those rationales behind it. And it gave the market kind of a little bit more steam, if you will, and it gave them more incentive and it started doing things. It started really exploiting and multiplying the market factors out there. So is that what you think interchange could have, you know, possibly, you know, are you are you trying to address the transparency and the trust issue as well, in addition to kind of the portfolio and uh, uh, settlement? Is that something that is important to you? I think it's important. It's all about the time that it takes us to get there. Uh, in the beginning, you know, I should be clear, we are so far from some of the standardization that exists in the traditional financial landscape um, that so much of what we have to do is build software just to glue all these things back together. Um, I mean, even if you take an example of one exchange, a single exchange, uh, the data that's coming out of it that we record, uh, right? So on behalf of a, of a fund or an administrator, um, we're bringing in all of their trades and we're adding all those up, obviously. And you would think that when we go back to that exchange and say, okay, what are the balances uh, of this asset on this exchange? They would add up. Well, they don't. Um, and a number of cases, you see this where things should work the way that you would think, and they just don't. And so we still have a ways to go where software providers such as ourselves are, are able to solve some of these problems before we can even achieve uh, some of the things that you're talking about. But what I will say is that uh, there are so many things that we could do with our unique position in the landscape. 
um, the kinds of data that we're bringing in, the kinds of clients that we're working with. Uh, you could, for example, apply um, some heuristics to, uh, say, exchanges and spit out on the other end data around uh, the reliability of withdrawals, for example, right? If we happen to notice that uh, a particular exchange is taking, you know, five, seven, uh, nine days to get um, U.S. to get fiat out, um, then that information should be known by other participants in our um, in our software. And that's where we believe that some of the network effect can come in, you know, that all of our users are, are using the software, but then potentially acting as part of a network, we'll be able to provide additional value like that. I think that we have a place in the ecosystem um, where we can provide some of that transparency and it will be in the software, but it could also be in, let's just say writings that we do or, or coming onto podcasts such as this and, and educating um, fund managers or, or uh, people that are in the space uh, around some of the unique things that we're seeing. I think the portfolio tool um, you guys are looking at is particularly interesting. So just for perspective, I um, was running a family office for the past year, and um, it was a very crypto-heavy family office. And we actually had someone in-house build out an entire portfolio management tool um, because, you know, anecdotally and speaking with crypto funds, there's quite a few people out there who are, you know, managing funds basically through through Excel. Like they pay analysts full time to like manually log trades in an Excel document, which honestly, to me, it's just like absolutely terrifying. Um, and I guess coming from a, a financial services background at Credit Suisse, it's, it's equally more terrifying. So, um, you know, from a, from an infrastructure perspective, that that's pretty key. But how do you, um, I guess, from a security perspective, get people comfortable with something like using uh, a portfolio tool on your end, right? Because even if it's a mess, if I'm holding all of my private keys, um, and know where and can at some point piece together where all my Bitcoin is. There, there's some level, I guess, of, of security and comfort in that, right? Like, do you guys require access to private to build out your portfolio management, um, or is it purely done through like API access? Purely APIs, and and I'll go even a step further and say that we're starting to uh, set up rules. Uh, we're we're deciding what these rules are internally. Uh, an example would be like an exchange that we have API access to. Right. And a fund comes along and they want to use that exchange. Uh, and we happen to notice that they do not provide a read only uh, access to that API. The exchange doesn't. Um, we may actually refuse uh, working with that exchange. And we would probably go back to the fund and say, look, uh, you can use this exchange. We would ask that you provide us the the data manually, right? Or you could choose to discontinue use of the exchange because they're not following best security practices. Um, you know, we will, uh, in some cases, do testing on our end to make sure that, you know, let's just say that you add API credentials, we're going to test those credentials. And if you've accidentally given us sufficient permission to, to move assets around, we'll reject the keys. Um, or at least that's that's one of the things that um, we, we can apply um, you know, to make sure that we have a secure system. Um, I should be clear that when we when we do anything in our system, we are requesting read only access to this information. Um, we specifically do not want independent ability to to do anything with your assets. Um, and so we really focus on anything that we can do that is purely read only. So it sounds like 
for phase one, there's going to be a fair amount of hand-holding. Do you see that that's going to be the way it goes? There's been other players in the portfolio space, like a Novus, which when they first came out four or five years ago, would speak to a family office or a hedge fund or an asset manager and have to have someone there almost 24-7 working with them for a new entrance into the portfolio or for a reconciliation. Do you see that for the first, you know, for the next year or two, that's going to be very uh, kind of, uh, you know, in there, you know, with them, very formalized. And then is it, you know, potentially, do you see automation possibly coming into this later in, in, you know, in the next few years? Absolutely. So let me step back a little bit. You, you had mentioned at the beginning of the podcast that we, um, we had some, some recent developments and some news to share, um, which is specifically that we had acquired uh, a company called CoinVantage um, fairly recently. We had done a, a merger. And CoinVantage was actually a software subsidiary that was built out of the fund administrator, MG Stover. MG Stover is, was the first fund administrator to do services in crypto. Uh, they're the largest. Um, they have the most crypto clients um, under administration. And because of that, because of their kind of unique position in the, in the market, they saw the need for some of these tools. So they built them out. They built CoinVantage um, to service their own needs. And you know, over the last year, um, over 2018, we got to know Matt Stover and and, and Bobby and 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 Matt, uh, the team over there at, at uh, MG and CoinVantage, and we realized there's just so much in common here uh, that things that we wanted to do, the things that we wanted to, they wanted to do. So we decided to put it together. We'll get in on that in a little bit, but that's relevant because they have been working with these clients for for years right starting all the way back in 2014 they know how these assets move around how they work how they reconcile um you know with all the different accounts exchanges wallets and so man you know your your inclination that so much of it is manual uh is true um to a point where all of that reconciliation uh, that had to go on, where there was this significant amount of handholding, uh, was definitely happening for for quite a while, for the um, all the way up until now. And now, what we're doing is, uh, you know, our team. Um, I really pride ourselves on our ability to build really great software. And what we're trying to do is look at each one of those cases, understand, you know, why do these things break? Where do they break down? Um, where is it a technical problem and where is it an experience problem? Um, and what can we do to automate, say, the technical issues? Um, and then for the experiential ones, um, find a better way to get that, getting that information in front of a user, um, in front of a fund manager, for example, to help them work out their own problem um, or help us understand a little bit more detail about a particular transaction. Um, and so it's a, in a combination of those two things, we'll be solving this problem for them where hopefully um, we'll be able to take a much, much lighter touch approach over time. Uh, I recognize that there will be a little bit of handholding in the beginning, uh, but as we take those experiences, those examples, and turn them into uh, software, I think we'll be in a really great position. You know, let's just say Q1, Q2 of this year. So, so not to get too 
far off topic, but I want I want to hone in on the uh, merger between picks and shovels and CoinVantage for a second because I think that's a really interesting uh, potential trend in the crypto space. So, you know, there's there's quite a few companies in the space that are focused on um, varying degrees of what they see as you know decentralization, and there's quite a few companies that tend to have very similar solutions but in their own silos, which sometimes is um, potentially a little counterintuitive to the idea of access to these decentralized assets, right? If everyone's developing the same thing in silos, it's potentially not efficient. So I guess maybe this is this is a bit of a leading question given um, that you recently participated in uh, crypto M&A, but how do you view kind of like collaboration versus competition in this space, it, you know, in general for building critical infrastructure, not just in portfolio tools? Uh, that's a great question. I, I think one place that you could easily start is around exchanges, um, where there is good reason for centralized exchanges. Um, you know, they're they're faster. Um, sometimes they can have better user experiences. Um, it'll be some time before I think we see you know truly great decentralized exchange uh, experiences. Um, the challenge with that, though, is you're using a number of different exchanges. Each one of them has their own unique qualities, their own unique set of assets, jurisdictions, regulatory uh, things. And so because of that, uh, you know, as a user, one, every single experience is different. And so I might have challenges there transacting on all of those exchanges. Uh, but let's just say that you want to do something that um, involves uh, the data itself, taxes. Um, if I want to know uh, what my taxation is going to be on all the trades that I did in the in a given year, um, I have to download all of the respective data, right? Let's just say you're not using a solution like like Interchange right now. Um, I'm downloading all of these CSVs. They're all in different formats. Um, not only are they in different formats, but they all have different kinds of data. Um, one example is is that Kraken, fairly popular exchange. Um, calls Bitcoin, uh, the symbol is XBT, not BTC. Every other exchange calls it BTC, but for some reason, Kraken calls it XBT. So it's examples like this where there's no good reason for that to be the case. Um, these exchanges could get together um, and form a consortium, even just to to do um, you know data sharing like this, right? To come up with certain standards um, and core ways that they are going to do, say, exports that would make an end user's life, you know, infinitely better. Um, and so I do think that we will see some of those things. I mean, you have an example like the fixed protocol in the traditional landscape, um, where at least that is uh, a shared resource. As far as companies are concerned, um, you know, which is a little bit different, um, you know, I do think there is going to be some amount of um, collaboration in the space. Um, I do think there will be some consolidation, and I think there will be plenty of competition. In our unique case, um, I do think it is probably a bit rare that we had two companies, Picks and Shovels, uh, which was building Interchange, um, and CoinVantage, both going out to solve specific sets of problems. Um, with CoinVantage, it was uh, sort of accounting, portfolio reconciliation, reporting, functions for fund administration, things like that. With Interchange, it was portfolio management. At the end of the day, the data that we need to rely on is the same. 
you know, the, the end result may be different. Um, and so in this case, you had a, a perfect opportunity to put these things together. Um, that may not be clear for other participants in the market. You know, if I am, for instance, providing custody services, what are the other things that I am likely to uh, to do? Um, it might be staking services. Um, it might be certain kinds of reporting. Who knows? Um, so I think some of the, the consolidation that will happen um, is, is likely to be, you know, sort of small. Um, but I, I think that you're going to see consolidation in the stand sense of there's there's not a lot of room to go around for certain kinds of of tools and services. Um, you know, right now there are a ton of folks going out after trade execution. Uh, you have players like Omniex and Caspian, um, you know, and and many many others who are going after that space. So the competition um, will likely be hot for for places like that. Um, so I, I think we're going to see a number of different scenarios, but you know, in this bear market. Um, you know, it's going to be interesting to see uh, how everybody fares, um, you know, survives, endures, thrives. On that topic of consolidation, Matt, do you see, so you've already acquired uh, parts of the, the, the technology from MJ Stover. Could you see an evolution where you acquire a Caspian and something like a Masari, so you have real-time trading information, you have charts and analytics, you already have your back-end kind of portfolio reconciliation tools and your tax and tax lotting. Um, and then if you added research on there too, it would be an all-in-one kind of package. Do you ever see, do you see that being the future or do you see it being in disparate pieces, you know, for the next few years? You know, what you just described sounds a lot like rebuilding Bloomberg uh, in the crypto universe. And if you look at Bloomberg and you know its longevity as a company and the the tool as it is today, the the terminal, um, you know it was really built as this this you know monolith, right? Where over time they were just iterating, 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 and now you have the terminal and it is the the go to. In in crypto, you know, when I started pitching some of the things that we were were going to do it was inevitable that somebody says, oh, you're building Bloom for, for crypto. And my response was always, I'm I'm building it um, if Bloomberg were built today. And I think if Bloomberg were rebuilt today, it would have a much more service-oriented architecture. Um, it may not look like Bloomberg building and doing everything. Um, it would look more like... Uh, you know, individual services, maybe core offerings, and then APIs to seamlessly plug in in other places. So for that, I think what we can do is provide some of the core parts, the accounting, the portfolio reconciliation, all of that gets us to a really solid source of truth. And then from there, I think we can plug into other players um, where we're going to focus on what we're good at, and they're going to focus on what they're good at. And we can find an information exchange that's going to work for us. And so, sure, working with with Masari uh, would be awesome if we can provide some of their research reports and some of their analytics and things uh, right within our tool, and you know, have an API exchange uh, both ways. Um, you know, folks like Caspian, Omniex, all the other. Um, uh, 
the the execution tools, um, it would be great if we can plug in uh, a say funds. Uh, portfolio data because then they can do interesting things around risk management. Um, I don't think that we're looking at this as a, a pure monolith play, but I do think that there are a lot of opportunities to build, you know, services. So when you look at all these different pieces of crypto infrastructure, you know, obviously um, that, that's been kind of another big market narrative of, of the last year is kind of a, a reset on expectations for crypto and a dial back into building core infrastructure tools. Um, not not to kind of force you to put a timeline in predictions, but where do you think we are, you know, with respect to different kinds of crypto infrastructure, whether it's, um, you know, exchange access, uh, tax codes, um, custody, and like, when do you think, like, like, what kind of event in your mind makes you think, okay, crypto infrastructure is ready for big players? Wow. You know, I think we're, I think, I still think we're a little ways away. Um, you know, number one, we don't really have uh, the the qualified custody thing completely solved yet. Um, as in, there are some really great technical solutions, um, and there are some other players that are coming online. You know, I had fully expected us to be by end of 2018 in a great place there, but regulatory for regulatory reasons, we we just didn't get there. Um, and so I think 2019 is when we'll see some of that come to, to fruition. Um, for institutional players to join in, uh, we're going to have to have, uh, let's just say, there's going to need to be deeper liquidity for a uh, many number of these assets. Uh, if that's going to be the way that these things go, we're going to need to see you know, more folks doing lending. Um, we're going to need to see just a, a barrage of different things uh, being offered to, to really get us there. Um, you know, more exchanges doing, you know, uh, certain kind of regulated activity. Um, there's just so many things. And not to mention the fact that um, you've got players like like Interchange uh, that will need to come along and uh, solve core critical problems for these funds that are looking to to work in this space. Um, so I think 2019 will be a great time for us uh, to do that. The bear market, um, you know, sure, maybe some of the air has gotten sucked out of the room, but it allows a lot of the players in the space to just deeply focus, right? We don't, we're not distracted by the, the numbers flashing around us right now or the, you know, uh, everybody's grandmother calling them up and asking if they should buy Bitcoin. Um, we have a time to, to focus and, and build uh, what needs to be built in this space. Um, could mean that, um, say, ETFs and things like that are a little ways away as a result of, um, you know, sort of uh, the haircut in the market. Uh, it's very, it's not just a haircut. I mean, it's a, you, you just shaved your whole head off. Um, but um, it, we, I think that we've got a little ways to go. Um, but I think that it, it's likely to, to be 2019, 2020, where um, we could see a, a nice flood coming in. So I've been on record and I wrote a medium piece about a month or so ago, which might not necessarily be your favorite thing in the world, where I said that 90% of crypto funds were going to be eviscerated this year because they took on too much risk. They didn't necessarily adhere to more uh, kind of standard practices in terms of risk and uh, reward. 
and that uh, you know many of them obviously took on bets into some of the riskier assets, you know, past say you know the top ten in coin market cap. And so, you know, talk to us about what you think are aside from crypto funds and maybe family offices. Do you see pension funds using you in the future? Do you see endowments using you in the future? Who do you see as your kind of burgeoning kind of a uh, uh, kind of community going the next year or two? Yeah, and. Look, I do agree that there will be fund shutdowns. Uh, I mean, I think that looking at the year that we had in 2018, it would be naive to believe that these funds would just continue in perpetuity. They they won't, um, and certainly not in you know the way that they are built and constructed today. So some will shut down, um, some will hunker down and continue. Some may get a little bit more conservative. Um, you know, but for just as many as that we are know are closing, we know that there are a number waiting in the wings with dry powder waiting to deploy. Um, and and frankly, some of that latter group uh, might have been more traditional asset managers, um, folks that came into the space, got excited about crypto, partially because of the bull run, uh, but maybe had uh, you know, a better understanding of how to do, say, risk management and things like that, where they might be able to survive more in the long run. So I'm I'm still bullish on the funds that are coming up, uh, but we're not, you know, sitting here resting. You know, our tools uh, are going to be applicable broadly to anyone in business in crypto. I'll draw the line and say that we're not interested in solving problems for for retail consumers. There's going to be plenty of solutions for for them. Uh, we're very much focused on anybody who is uh, operating with crypto on their balance sheet. So, uh, you know, fund administrators would be a great example. Um, you know, we help them do their jobs. Uh, you know, we currently service the largest fund administrator in the space. Um, you have. Uh, the funds themselves that we can sell into uh, and and help them um, exchanges, OTC desks. You have token issuers uh, that are going to have crypto on their balance sheets, uh, custodians um, that are going to have to have uh, reporting requirements and things like that across the board. Uh, anybody who is working with crypto assets, we will have an opportunity to solve core problems for them. Uh, so as we start this year, um, our core customers are fund administration and uh, and and fund managers. But uh, as we go throughout the rest of the year, you know, we're entering trials with exchanges and other kinds of providers, um, you know, and we'll be again to diversify our offering fairly soon. Okay, so I'm going to ask one funny question, and then I'm going to let Amanda ask the more serious question. So this is 30 seconds to get to know Matt Galligan a little bit on a personal level. So we saw that you had a guitar in the back and that you uh, you like your music. So name, if you could, your top two or three bands all time. Okay. So number one, without a question, is Muse. Uh, I discovered them a number of years ago. Uh, God, 15 some odd years ago. I, I can't count how many times I've seen them in concert. Uh, by far, by far my favorite band. Um Beyond that, uh, I'm actually going to, uh, I'll say thrice, um, which <laughs> uh, I got into during my like uh, post high school, like pop punk days. But then wow. as they've evolved as a band, I've evolved uh, my own tastes and it, they've kind of in an interesting way evolved together. Um, so I've really continued to 
really dig in and, and love those guys. Recent album was amazing. Um, and last, uh, you know, I would say it, it's really hard for me to come up with even probably a top 10 or top 20. Um, but I'll just throw another name in, which is um, uh, this guy, BT, um, who is a long time, some might know as a, as a DJ, but um, just a phenomenal electronic composer. Um, I actually got the benefit of uh, I've had the benefit of of getting to to meet him and um and actually spend a decent amount of time with him now and and just love his work and and the dedication that he has to it he's he's fun to follow on Instagram because he he kind of lets you in on how the sausage gets made so uh, the, I would say plenty of other artists I could call out but you know notable would be those three. I'm amazed that you threw out BT because back in the day I was a DJ and I remember that BT was coming to a gig that I was playing and talk about centralization and the problems we had. He had his record. He, we used to lug around wax uh, vinyl yep. and we used to lug around these massive cases that you could probably try to shoot with a nine gauge, you know, shotgun. And it still wouldn't do anything to it. Yeah. But he, he apparently it was quote unquote lost at the airport. And I think someone like a week or two later was able to recover all these like highly valuable, you know, kind of not sold, you know, tracks that he produced and other people gave him. I, I can't believe he threw out BT. That is amazing. Well yeah, done. actually, that that's an incredible that's an incredible story, and and the length that he's gone to recover a lot of his own work. You don't think about these things sometimes, but like an artist's, um, you know, sort of trash bin sometimes, even just the little snippets they record and and want to come back to later. I mean, as a as a graphic designer, um, I'm constantly leaving things on the cutting room floor, and I'm desperate to get them back. Sometimes you just you 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 reach this problem, and you're like, holy crap, I I solved that two years ago. You know, where is that thing? And for BT to to have the the library that he does, just the, the sheer volume of music that he's created, um, you know, it's important to be able to have those archives. And dude, he's literally like opening up his Max with a soldering iron, ready to go to the silicon to be able to recover some of these machines. The the, the he 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 has personally taken hard drives apart and tried to recover the platters. Um, so you talk about people that are dedicated to their their art, um, and and you really aren't going to get much further uh, than him. I don't even have any more crypto questions. I just want photographic proof that David was a DJ 20 years ago. <laughs> that's where my priorities are now. Um, I, I can come up with that. Whew, I'll release it to the internet. Don't worry, crypto Twitter will have a field day. Um, but listen, Matt, you know, thank you so much for um, coming on to join us. I, I think it's, you know, coming from the side of things where, frankly, it was a pain in the ass to try to figure out where our assets were on any given day doing an internal portfolio tool. I'm, I'm really excited to see how interchange develops. Um, if there's kind of any, if there's any parting line that you could leave our listeners with, um, what would it be? You know, I think it's, don't take for granted um, how important it is that you retain all of this, say, information with with great fidelity. Um, if 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 I've seen mistakes uh, made by, say, fund managers and stuff like that, it's because you know, let's just say they 
they took for granted that all the information was recorded somewhere and then all of a sudden they have lost uh say record of certain trades and it's really hard to get this information back and so whether it's by way of uh, of using software such as ours or um you know there, are, there frankly isn't much in the way of competition right now but just even so much as just downloading your own csvs it's absolutely critical the last thing i'll mention is um you know, it's 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 also a data thing, but you know, to know uh, how you are pricing your assets. You know, this is not something that gets talked about a ton. Uh, but if I were to ask you, what's the price of Bitcoin? You might have an answer, and that answer might differ from the next ten people. Um, it could be that many of them are using, say, Coin Market Cap as their as their source. Uh, but even that single source may be flawed in uh, sometimes in its its practices. So it's, you know, it is uh, conviction, it is consistency, um, it's understanding, you know, why you're picking a certain say data source or data set um, and sticking with it. Uh, the data here is just absolutely critical to get right. Yeah, I mean, absolutely agreed there. I think that it's, um, you know, people get so excited, but it's important to take a, a step back and, you know, not not try to look at the forest from the trees and remember where we are, um, especially in terms of data quality. Thank you for joining us. And, um, you know, hopefully we can check back in later this year and see how things at Interchange have developed. and see where the state of crypto infrastructure is then. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on. And if anybody wants to check us out, we're just interchangehq.com. Mm -hmm.